As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Work From Your Happy Place, the podcast that equips you with the tools, know-how, and motivation to live your dreams and find your happy place. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a recap of the week's guests and a preview of what's in store. To sign up, simply text the word HAPPY PLACE with no space to 33444. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce the host of Work From Your Happy Place, Belinda Ellsworth. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Work From Your Happy Place. I'm your host, Belinda, where we interview both business entrepreneurs as well as artistic entrepreneurs. My guest today, Elliot Holland, founder of Guardian Due Diligence, is a business buying expert. He has a Harvard MBA, spent 10 years buying companies for himself and others, and now prevents his clients from losing millions buying bad businesses. He's the guy to hire to guard your money. It is my pleasure today to welcome Elliot to our show. Thank you so much for having me, Belinda. This is going to be great. It is going to be great. I'm ready to just dive in. So let's do that. Tell us a little bit about your past, kind of how you how you got on this journey, and then what you're doing to really help folks today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, grew up just outside of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, both my parents were CPAs and accountants and did financial consulting, particularly around Some of the same stuff I do around business owners getting bank financing and, and making investments in their business. I took a bit of a spin undergrad when got an engineering degree that I, I never used professionally. Did some strategy consulting with a company called Accenture that you guys may know. And then applied to, got into Harvard. And that's when things kind of changed for me. I got excited about the private equity industry and kind of threw myself into it and all the nuance and pomp and circumstance and was able to land a job at a private equity firm in Boston, then spun out of there and started two of my own, the first with a mentor, the second um, by myself. And I think all of those things kind of shaped sort of a work hard, play hard kind of mentality towards life and one mm-hmm. that was situated towards, I say this a lot, sort of building the house you want to live in. So I had an idea of where I wanted to end up, and I just kind of consistently focused on getting there. Um, 
the most current manifestation of that is I started a business four years ago, Guardian Due Diligence, which helps the sort of influx of people because there's a huge growth in this marketplace of folks who are buying small businesses, sort of under $5 million using SBA loans largely. And what I realized is I used to do the same thing for myself, and it's just terribly hard to find advisors that are really good for that size business and focus on it and can help people through the process. And so our business is set up to both help people get through the process efficiently, but an even bigger sort of solution we provide is helping them not buy bad businesses, losing millions of dollars and and going bankrupt. So that's a little bit about me and how I ended up where I am. I love that. And it's such a really needed skill because people get excited. This is what I find. People get really passionate or excited and they think they see an idea or they think this is the perfect business for them and they just skip all the due diligence. They, they just get so excited that they know that they can make it work no matter what, but there is a lot of factors to be considered and you can end up I made the mistake once myself of um, getting involved in a business and lost a lot of money doing it. But you know what? I, I learned a lot from it. I learned how much important due diligence is. But my gosh, how great to have someone that is a consultant or that can advise you in that area because it's really important. I had another business, so I was able to handle that loss. But for some people... They throw everything in. A loss like that can be devastating. And that's what happens. So, and this ecosystem is really tough. It's a lot of people who smile and wear nice clothes that are capitalists, right? And a lot of people that work for brand name companies that exude sort of confidence and legitimacy that don't have any long-term downside in people's bad decisions. So what do I mean by that? When you walk into the environment of I want to buy a business and you think about the counterparties, people like to think it's, oh, it's just a little bit more complicated than buying a house. No, sir. So to understand financials of a private company is wicked hard. Then Mm -hmm. to trust what comes from a seller is hard because how do you know they actually input information correctly into their financials? And then they may send their information off to a CPA, but that CPA can only be as good as the information they took in. And if you've ever looked at the first two pages of an accounting report from a CPA firm, they tell you that they have no recourse in bad data that they got in that they presented to you. But most people don't read those long, nasty pages. You may have a business broker in the mix who, as nice as they are and as reputable as their company, and there's some good brokers out there, don't get me wrong, but they get paid a present a percentage of the transaction size. And so a buyer who doesn't do diligence still fetches them a healthy fee. And then you got you got lawyers and the rest. So it's it's a place that's wrought with opportunities to lose. And so our firm is very much set up to help people understand all of those hazards, to put guardrails around them. And like you said, to coach overzealous people who may not think about the true downside risk help them think about it because, you know, upside in buying a business is several million dollars of return and excess of your capital. Mm-hmm. But losing is losing several million dollars and probably three to five years of your life, not doing fun work that's busy, but doing busy work, just trying to keep maybe a small portion of that million dollar investment in your bank. So it's a huge like difference in between what winning and losing this environment means for people. 
Gosh, that's so spot on. I love that. I love everything you just said. That's so great. Um, Let's talk a little bit about how the business has shaped your lifestyle today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's probably the most fun part. So I made a very important decision a year after business school to leave a cush job at a private equity firm in Boston and come to Atlanta. Atlanta was important because um, I had moved my mother and my brother from Ann Arbor down to Atlanta within a year of graduating. There's some messy family stuff I won't get into here, but it was a really triumphant part of my professional career or personal sort of lifetime, really. And then it ended up forcing my hand, doing some entrepreneurial things in Atlanta just because there's not as much finance here. And now that I run my own business in Guardian, it, it allows me to work from anywhere. So I spend quite a bit of time in South America. Um, I spend quite a bit of time working from wherever I happen to want to hang out, whether it's the mountains, whether it's the beach, whether it's wherever. Um, I don't have any kids, so I don't have um, sort of um, huge commitments of where I need to be. And as long as I have a computer, um, I'm good to go. And so the most important thing for me is keeping sort of keeping in front of my customers and keeping sort of myself with messages in the market, helping people understand what I do. But what's fortunate is I don't, I haven't had a place to go to like set my laptop down that's been consistent for a long time. That's awesome. And I think this last year, more people are just realizing how they're able to do that, where people saw so many barriers before they've been forced to learn to do business in a new way not going into an office every day and realizing that there are multiple ways in which they can work their business. That's that's exactly right. And I think smart folks are also considering what that means for the next five to 10 years of our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So I remember the, um, I remember looking at the tropical MBA folks and Tim Ferriss and like four hour work week and all that kind of stuff years ago. And mm-hmm. thinking it was out of reach. Now I think it's, very much in reach, but I think that also has implications for those who their job security may be based on needing to be within 45 minutes of their job. And if that assumption goes away, what does that mean for their their job security? So I would encourage everyone to consider if you haven't thought about what it may mean to work from a different place for, for purely the cost lowering perspective, I think people need to take a look at that. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. So let's talk about skill sets. I always call these your superpowers. Uh And have you identified like a couple of superpowers that you think have really helped you over the years be successful with owning your own business? Yeah. So I'll start from the ones that took the longest. And then I think my greatest superpower is still one that I'm still kind of fumbling through, but getting better at. So, um, 10 years of investing experience is hugely valuable just because this is an industry where it's like sales, Belinda. You can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar. You get these lessons on the job training. You get them from winning some and feeling what that's like, losing some and knowing what that's like, doing a lot of work on something that doesn't happen and doing a little bit of work on something that does and sort of realizing what the ins and outs of that are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I leverage that superpower almost every day. My consulting background, all of my Accenture folks should be pumping their fist. I I can't tell you how many times I've gone back into the consulting skill set of taking sort of abstract problems, 
putting some structure around them, manifesting them on a sheet of paper in a way that people can consume, react to, opine on, and being able to do that quickly and in line with the client's desire has been hugely beneficial. My third superpower is digital marketing. This finance Harvard guy just said digital marketing. Yes, digital <laughs> marketing. I've spent time taking classes. I've got hundreds of pages of stuff that I've read. I'm still not all that great, Belinda, um, but it it allows me to lower my cost of um, customer acquisition and to get mm-hmm. more people. And in a year like 2020, and I think the next couple of years where a lot more stuff is going to happen online. I'm way ahead of my financial peers from a digital marketing perspective. And so I'm going to, I'm going to keep that superpower going. Absolutely. And that reason for that is it's an ever changing landscape. What you learned a year ago or two years ago that you've kind of mastered is now morphed and changed. And now there's new technology or there's other skill sets in different ways of doing things, new platforms. Like it is a constant moving target. And I think that that's important for people to realize is it's really getting in there and doing. You just have to be in it, participating, always looking at sort of, you know, well, this is sort of the hard thing I see is there's so many courses out there yes. knowing which skill set you've already sort of mastered and and how will that take you further and knowing what's the something new that you really do need to know because I've taken courses and I'm like, I didn't learn anything different from this than I already knew. And it's learning how to sort of weed through that, but knowing that you're going to constantly need to grow and learn in this area. That's the best advice that I can give. I'm not great at it, but I will tell you that I am way better at it than I was three years ago. I I'm way better at it today than I was a year ago because I kind of at least had a concept and knew, and I hired other people to handle things. And in this last year, it's like we've had to up our game a hundred percent online and mm-hmm. I've had to get in the driver's seat of my own business again. So that has been learning more. And it's also been just doing the more you do, like you said, you can't learn how to ride a bike from reading a book. Right. You, you have to get on it and feel that balance and see what it's like. And, you know, the same thing is for digital marketing. People have to just sort of, learn and then do and then learn some more and and then also find people that are very good at it that can mentor you or you know be a part of your team so that's my two cents in that you know it's amazing just to give folks um a bit of how cool that conversation just was this is two different people who run their own businesses that just said that we spent money, energy, lost money on bad things, gotten better. We're still not great, but we're still pushing on it in the same arena several years after our sort of initial formidable education. Like we're retooling to get to know this. And I think that's a huge, a huge piece. Like when I see people like really excel at fast paces versus those who go a bit slower. I see people who are sort of continually investing in the next frontier of what they need to know to get their their job done. Absolutely. And the one comment that you made about your consulting background, this is so interesting because it just happened to me earlier. So I was having to fill this questionnaire out Mm -hmm. and I'm just trying to think about how to say it. And then all of a sudden it was like, 
I need to get my hat on as a con- my consulting hat. Like, what would I tell a client? Like, mm-hmm. look, what's the problem? What is the problem that needs to be addressed? How are you going to go about doing that? And then when I put that consulting hat on, it was 10 times easier for me to fill out this document that I needed to fill out. Yes. Um, actually, it was for a book publisher. And so I'm like, they're asking what we would do or what we would say or what would we, you know, do in this book. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't even know. Then I'm like, okay, your consulting hat on. Go back to what's the problem? What is the mm-hmm. issue? Mm-hmm. And that's a great skill set to have. And if people would sometimes just sit back and even sort of use some common sense in just, you know, what is the problem and always addressing the problem and how can I fix that problem? It's like benefit selling versus descriptive selling. Yes. And it kind of falls into that same category. So I love that. All right. Let's talk about real quick, outstanding accomplishments, something that's uh, meaningful for you. I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I lost my father when I was 14 and it kind of threw my family into a bit of a spiral. And you know, when you're 14, there's not much you can really do. You know, you can you can pray, you can sing a song, you can, you know, talk to people, but there's not a whole lot. And so I threw myself into education and just really got behind a thesis that if I really focus on education, then I could get a scholarship to go to college. And if I did well there, I could make some money. And if I made some money, I could be a resource financially that my family needed and, you know, help get us out of some messy stuff. And so I did well. So I, I received a full ride scholarship to go to Morehouse College in Georgia Tech, uh, top three engineering school. Um, and then the accomplishment for me was within a year of graduating, I had moved my mother and my younger brother to Georgia um, into a much better economic environment. For those who have historical context, this was 2007, eight. So oh, right when our economy went into uh, the dumps. And, you know, at the time my mother was working as an admin doing some things around subprime mortgages. So had I not made that move, I think um, we, uh, the whole family would be in a very different place. Wow. That's awesome. So let's talk about then sort of the polar opposite of that, an obstacle or challenge that you faced and how did you work through it? You know, self-doubt. I think any entrepreneur has faced it because by definition as entrepreneur, you're you believe something can exist that doesn't exist when you started. So the world needs something that's not there. Um, and all the things that kind of get in your way are there. For me, you know, the investing game is, is an, old, an old game and, and really an old white men's game for the most part. It's not even mm-hmm. um, all that open to women. And then being an advisor for something that's already not penetrated heavily by your demographic is a whole other level of humility and getting there, but also self-doubt around, do I know enough? Can I add value here? Um, What will people say? You know, I still respect people who are 10, 20 years ahead of me. Can I still deliver value when I'm not them? And I think, um, you know, in terms of how I work through it, I think just Sometimes you just got to keep going, even if you have doubt. So I think that was my initial approach. You know, mm-hmm. doubt's not going to pay the bills. So let me keep doing what I can. And then I think after a while, I got to a place where I found an ecosystem of people that really needed the help. And it kind of put my self doubt to rest. I think when you find a group and a community of people that 
that need you, some of the macro stuff of you not being the best or maybe not the best student for this particular thing goes away because you're sort of, your, your, your community is also giving you energy. That's interesting because I do think finding your tribe, finding your community, finding the people that you best can serve certainly boosts that confidence um, and helps that self-doubt go away. But I, I really do think that no matter how confident you are, that self-doubt creeps in. I, I really mm-hmm. focus on like you're all you're always gonna have it. It's learning that some of us have learned how to identify it quicker and then push through it and, and not let it like paralyze us. So I think you always have it because if you're always learning new things, you're always gonna feel that little bit of imposter syndrome in like, well, I'm just learning this. But I just think it is kind of being able to identify where your levels of self self-doubt are. And then surrounding yourself with, like you said, your community and tribe, but it's also knowing that you are going to get through it just like you have before. There's confidence in doing. And so that's just I my sort of more. take on that. <laughs> I, I say it a lot. You know, the price to get good at something is sucking at it first. Absolutely. And if you're not ready to suck and be ridiculed, like it's funny for me, every time I do something new on my website or new on LinkedIn, I know one or two people out there are going to, you know, jump out of their hole (laughs) and tell me that the thing that they experienced stunk, right? Yep. Never high-fived me, never helped, never provided constructive criticism. But that happens. And it's sort of now I'm almost like I tell people like, okay, so the next two days I'm going to be a little bit quiet because everybody's going to be saying the nay stuff. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll know if it worked or not, regardless of what they say. So it's interesting. I had a podcast a couple of weeks ago where a guy I respected a lot was frustrated that he had done something in his business. And like, he got some call from some guy that was, you know, ranting on him about he didn't like it, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, so you have a thousand subscribers and one called you and ranted on you. And we're talking about the one. So that that also helps me get out of it too. Absolutely. And that is such, such a great, I don't know, advice, lesson. People do it all of the time. And and that's where I've just gotten better is you you have to look at the scope of it. You know, there are always going to be naysayers. There are always going to pe- be people that really do want to see you fail. I I think that's sad, but it's, they don't, they don't know how to get out of their own box. And because they can't, they want to pull you back down in their box with them instead of saying, wow, I could probably learn something from this individual. Like I I have to stop myself now and I've gotten pretty good at it because we will get some of the nastiest comments on our page, you know, because people, they think they can say nasty things when they're not saying it to your face, when they can comment on LinkedIn or when they can comment on Facebook or wherever. And it, that blows me away too. Like, would you ever say this to my face if I were standing in front of you? Probably not. But now I just don't let people get to me. I'm like, I'm sorry you feel that way. We've got over 5,000 people that feel differently. <laughs> I just yeah. sometimes throw it right back to them. Yeah. One one time I couldn't type fast enough. And I this lady was saying, 
I need help. And I know that this is a bot and you don't really care about your people at all. And every time I was trying to write, she was typing faster than me. And I said, <laughs> actually, I was just getting ready to go to bed. It's one o'clock in the morning. This isn't a bot. It's me. And I'm sorry you're feeling this way, but you can type faster than me. And right. then she then she goes, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I had no idea this was really you. And I wanted to say to her, then who'd you think it was? <laughs> like Typing this fast. Yeah. I know. And then why would you say this to somebody? Why would you say this to one of my staff members if you didn't think it was me? I just, I wanted to call her out so bad, but I didn't. I just said, so sorry, but like send this. to bed, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to bed. Send this to my customer service. And I promise you that a human being will take care of you. (laughs) You know, the old adage of like, I think how people treat you oftentimes is more a reflection of them than of you. And that's hard because I actually needed to hear that out of my own mouth because mm-hmm. hurt people hurt people. And you're right. It can be hard from a human psychology perspective to see somebody with the same tools you have do triple what you do. I'm sure that doesn't feel great. Or people who are willing to take those chances. I mean, when I talked about that 10 years experience, Belinda, and you know, you probably have a couple more months experience than I do. You just learn it's going to be tough. You're going to try stuff that doesn't work, but you're going to learn stuff from the failures that's going to put you in the perfect position a couple of years later. And it's all like a portfolio of wins and losses. But like somebody who's never ventured outside of like the opportunity that somebody put on a sheet of paper for them, you know, that mm-hmm. thing that was offered that had, you know, the three page job offer and the job description and the dedicated boss and this location. If you never ventured outside of that, you don't know what it's like to launch a website. Like my friends who, are getting into stuff like this now, it's amazing listening to their questions to the same questions I had, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago. So mm-hmm. I try to just, you know, sometimes instead of like even all that energy when somebody says something crazy under a comment or something, I just say, thank you. Yep. Don't even It's hard, but thank you for your feedback. That's right. Yep. I, I do the same thing. It's hard. Like I'm not even saying for one minute of anybody listening that that's easy thing to do, but you're so right. It's like, why are they Why are they doing this? There's a reason why that person's doing that. When you've got 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 other people <laughs> who wouldn't even dream of doing that. So it's like, and why do we let ourselves get so down on that? Like, why do we get so hyper-focused on the one thing that's wrong? And and people do. They do. They, they actually let it paralyze them um, because they can't, they get, they can't handle that sort of um, the, the comments. They can't handle the just uh, feedback, you know, and it's like, you got to just say, okay, I know I don't do this. So, or I know it's not my intent. So, and then I always say to people too, instead of getting super defensive, and I, 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 I try to do this all the time is be very self introspective and say, all right, this isn't a hundred percent truth because this is crazy. Right. But where is there an ounce yes. of truth? Yes. And there usually is. Yes. And yes. I try to take that without all the other criticism. Don't yes. get paralyzed and say, okay, how can I tweak this or fix this? Or here's here's a complaint that we just recently got. Is there something we could do to make that better for everyone's experience? Belinda, that's been one of the biggest differentiators, I think, in my life is just that. When I'm in some pain, I'm like, I'm going to get some value out of this, gosh darn it, because I'm going through it. So you send me a nasty gram. I am going to look for the little piece that is valuable. 
the other thing that you have to do, in my belief, is sometimes smart people give you terrible advice. <laughs> that doesn't mean that you should stop talking to smart people because there's a risk. It's just I've had to get better in my career at listening to very smart people that might be 10 times richer than I, right? So, like, there's no basis for me to disagree that makes any sense in a capitalist world, right? Like, right. none. But that doesn't mean I have to take every smart person's advice and go execute. Because, I mean, I use dating analogies, G-rated ones, Melinda. I'm not going to get in trouble. But, like, not everybody likes, you know, tall people. Not everybody likes people who like to cook. Not everybody likes people who like to ski. But, like, you're not trying to suit everyone. And one of the lessons I learned in business school around strategy is for every Everything you overinvest in, it almost implies you have to underinvest in something else. And sometimes mm-hmm. the pain people are feeling is the thing that you've chosen strategically to underinvest in. And that's part of doing business. Mm-hmm. That's a wise statement for sure. All right. So this brings us to sort of our signature question of the show. And that is, what does working from your happy place mean to you? Yeah, it means I can set my own priorities, both personally and professionally. I can say a lot of things, but, you know, my mom's uh, in her golden years. And when she has a doctor's appointment, I can go play translator and make sure the doctor tells her what she actually needs to do and doesn't scoot out of the room. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend's stressed. I don't have to worry about it for three days when I have some huge deliverable. You know, I can go be with her and, and maybe cancel some meetings. You know, just simple things like I'm able to set my agenda I'm also not encumbered by the rules of the office. You know, I think a lot of things happen positively when you're in close proximity to people. Don't get me wrong. But I do think there's a huge benefit in being able to choose the people you are around. And maybe you want some personal benefit at home. And then um, I do a lot of impromptu vacations, right? Maybe two or three days. And so it's nice to just be able to put up the out of office, you know, tag and just be gone. That doesn't mean my clients ever suffer as a result. It just means that I don't always have something I have to do to service a client for two or three days and I can get out to the mountains or to the beach and, um, and refresh. So for me, having control of your own priorities and time is, is, is what working for my happy place means to me. Awesome. So in closing, what advice would you give to others wanting to be entrepreneurs or wanting to have this side hustle. The one thing that you said early on in the program, which I wanted to come back to, but maybe this is a good good point to make, you had an engineering degree and then you ended up not doing much with that or really nothing at all with that. Mm-hmm. And some people get so paralyzed in that they can't get beyond thinking of something else. They want it, but they don't know how to get it. So What advice would you give to individuals wanting to go down this road? The first one is, I think the wisest like professional strategy that I've used, and I've used it again and again and again, and it's what allowed me to not get stuck on, I have an engineering degree, I have to do engineering. I try to always look 10 to 20 years ahead. And if you want to be an entrepreneur, maybe a shorter time frame, find somebody five years ahead of you, because I think you kind of need to master those skills. But Whatever it is, find some examples of what success looks like in the world, in a person, in a business, in a situation, and then try to get as close to those people as possible. That might mean buying some lunches, buying some coffees, right? Meeting at inconvenient times to get to know how they do it. 
And I think you learn so much from like imitation, apprenticeship, and getting close to people who have sort of figured out the nuanced success that you also define as success. And I think mm-hmm. that can push you ahead quicker because you, you're able to learn so many lessons from somebody who's, you know, fixed that life work balance thing just right according to how you think it should be done. I also think it's important to find your highest and best skill set. So there's a lot of things I can do. Engineer, consultant, um, finance, private equity, advising, all that kind of stuff. But when I think about what it is that I market and where I focus building my personal brand around, it's around, you know, mergers and acquisitions focused financial advisory. And that's because it's my highest and best skill set. It's the skill set that I can get paid the most for. The other things kind of fall into place, but if I want to market my most differentiated and highest value one, I think that's been strong and I encourage others to do it too. And then we touched on this earlier, Belinda, take some digital marketing classes. Gosh, <laughs> you people that are making six figures doing stuff um, and you hear all these Amazon stories and e-commerce store stories, like spend a thousand dollars or even go on Udemy for five bucks, take a class. You'll be amazed at how much you learn. And I remind people all the time, digital marketing isn't some like, you know, purple sunshine. It's it's just marketing manifested online. So it's the same mm-hmm. marketing lessons you learn in, you know, college, just implemented online. So those are the three pieces of advice I'd give entrepreneurs. That is really great. And I just, I wanted to add to that because I've been seeing there is a lot of um, documentation out there of people are learning digital marketing without having any basic skill sets to start with. I've been seeing this mostly in the area of sales, but it's also in areas of basic business strategies and marketing and, and people skills and all of those things that a person before they had digital marketing, they would have built those skills and then they would have just taken those skills and put them on a new platform. And the problem with a lot of younger people today is they're just taking all the digital marketing courses and learning how to to put their information online, but they absolutely have zero selling skills, zero people skills, uh, zero business strategy skills or goal setting skills. And they're they're really struggling in that themselves. They might be a tech wizard, but mm-hmm. they don't have some of the basics. Uh, and it really is, I loved how you said it, digital marketing is just another platform to take the skill sets you've developed and learn them in a new and different way. And yes. people should learn both sets of skills. Totally agree with that. And then I, I don't want to mention classes as a smart way to move up the learning curve and not also give the warning of just because somebody's taking a picture with the Bentley doesn't mean they have a Bentley or that their parents didn't give them a Bentley. And so be careful of some of the ways people market classes and they show you things that would make you assume that they know what they're doing, but they're not the things that you would actually need to see to believe they know what they're doing. So Mm -hmm. not every class is made the same. Also, don't take a class and lose 500 bucks and then throw the whole program away. You know, I've sat in a couple yep. of classes where I was like, gosh, you know, either it was a it was a level too low or too high or I didn't like the teacher. But, you know, if I thought about that in engineering and quit the first time I didn't like my professor, we wouldn't be talking on this podcast. Right. Absolutely. 
Okay, so what are some new and exciting things that you think our listeners might benefit from? And then, Elliot, let's tell them how they can find you. Absolutely. So the coolest new thing I've started is a weekly office hours where really anyone interested in buying a business can come and sit for an hour. It's 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern. And we just talk about anything that relates to business acquisition, small business acquisition. And it's a nice way for people to learn about the industry if they don't know, to sharpen their skills if they know a little, to help execute if they're closer down the line. And it's a really kind of cool in the week uh, environment. I hope you've heard me on this podcast. I try to make even nerdy things like diligence a little bit of fun. So if you go to my (laughs) website, uh, guardiandiligence.com, you can register for the office hours and even submit a question on the website. And I think um, that's pretty cool. The other thing, I'm going to do a mastermind group this year. I bring a lot of people to my website that are a little too early in the deal process to benefit from like diligent solutions. So they're still learning how to sort of become a better deal professional. Mm -hmm. I think the best way to do that isn't in these short workshops, but probably an extended kind of retreat. So we'll be doing something around that later this year. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about both things. Please come check out the office hours if you have any interest in, in doing a deal. Great. And where can they find you? They can find me at guardiandiligence.com. Um, and that's uh, do D-U-E. You can also Google my name, Elliot Holland, um, E-L-L-I-O-T-T. Um, my website will come up along with my LinkedIn page and if you get stuck, you can just go to elliot-holland.com and um, my email and phone number is there as well. Perfect. Well, Elliot, this has absolutely been a delightful interview. So much wisdom and just really practical tips for people listening. So I appreciate that so much. Appreciate you giving us your time and being a guest on our show today at Work From Your Happy Place. So thank you. Belinda, thank you so much for having me. Um, It's been great. And I look forward to seeing how this does with you, with the audience. Thank you. Great. And to all our listeners out there, thank you for joining us once again at Work From Your Happy Place. If you haven't subscribed, make sure you take the time to do so. That way you won't miss a single episode of Work From Your Happy Place. And you know what we love more than anything is leave us a review because that really makes a difference. Thanks so much, everyone. And we'll see you next time on Work From Your Happy Place. Thanks for joining us at Work From Your Happy Place. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends and be sure to rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher. For a free gift on finding your own happy place, please visit workfromyourhappyplace.com and click on the free audio button. Thanks again for listening. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.